you know, the whole idea of shift left for security is we've moved it to like our most expensive employees, our engineers, which is great because they can make really good decisions if they have the right context. But if you've shifted left so far where there's no context as to like how this software runs, like if I'm going to upgrade a dependency, if I don't know when and how or where or if that software is even running, I can't really make a decision about whether to fix these vulnerabilities or not. Welcome to a new episode of All Aboard, the show where we have real conversations with IT and security practitioners. No fluff, no talking points, just straight talk from experts and advice for tackling the toughest problems facing cloud forward companies today. I'm your host, Alex Bowie, CEO and co-founder of Conductor One. For this week's episode, I'm thrilled to have Rob Sumsky join us on the show. Rob is the CEO and co-founder of Edgebit, a software supply chain security system that helps teams cut through the noise and prioritize the most important software vulnerabilities in their apps. With over a decade of experience in the security space, Rob has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of vulnerability management. In today's pod, he gives us a primer on SBOMs, that is software bill of materials, and talks through some of the challenges companies have using them. Rob also shares his thoughts on shifting left, the differences between centralized versus decentralized security, and at what stage companies should be thinking about compliance. Let's jump right in. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. I, we're going to talk about, presumably, a topic uh, that's very close to Edgebit's heart, which is software bill of materials. And it's something, I'll just be honest with you, I do not know much about. So I was kind of thinking maybe just to start things off, can you just explain in very like layman's terms, you know, talk to me like I'm five years old, what is a, what is an SBOM and, and why is that actually important to companies? Yeah. So the greater kind of area is um, software supply chain security. This is like, just like we have a physical supply chain, like is the steel I'm using in my submarine going to hold up to the depths? Um, yeah, the same thing for the software. Um, this open source dependency, this closed source dependency, where where did I get these from? Have they been modified? That kind of thing. Um, and so an SBOM is just the inventory that holds the metadata that says these are the 900 libraries that make up this piece of software. Um, this is where they came from. This is what they're called. Now, typically, you see that paired with a few other pieces of metadata. Like once you understand what's in it, you probably want to know, are there any security issues with these? And so you pair some vulnerability data in there. And then um, after that, it's like, oh, do these vulnerabilities actually affect me or affect this piece of software when it's deployed? Um, and so you've got like how exploitable are these? And so like those three things are basically your, uh, all the metadata you need to make that decision. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I guess it's been interesting to see over, I, I feel like over the last year and a half, software supply chain, SBOMs, it feels like it's fever pitch at like a security narrative level. Like, you know, every time I'm on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. I'm just seeing what people are talking about. It's, it's definitely a hot area. Can you, like, why is that? Like, why now? Why has it become such a fever pitch issue today? Yeah, probably three main things. One, like, there's real attacks happening here. Um, and so, like, solar winds and kind of these big ones, but also a bunch of smaller ones. Um, and then you've got more folks because of those just poking around in this area. And so there's more researchers kind of shedding light on stuff. And so that is making it a little bit hotter. Um, but then lastly, the federal government is, you know, putting their foot down and saying, we need to get serious about this problem. And so the Biden administration put out a cybersecurity directive um, a few years ago now, but it's trickling down through all the government agencies. And so Office of Management and Budget has an opinion now. Um, it's making its way into NIST guidelines. I think it's only a matter of time before it comes down into SOC 2 and ISO compliance, like the commercial regime. Um, and so that's kind of building um, and probably the groundswell for all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever, I mean, the federal government is obviously a huge procurer of software in general. So 
yeah, whatever they say probably goes at some level. And then if it makes its way into a compliance regimen, then yeah, pretty much everyone's going to have to do something there. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, like very tactically, what what does an SBOM look like and or how, how does that data get transmitted across like organizational boundaries? Is that a digital artifact, a manifest of some kind? Is it cryptographically signed? Is there a, a standard around it? Is there a protocol around it? And, uh, you know, it, it, whatever depth makes sense to kind of talk about that, I'm, I'm actually just kind of curious on, on those like little bit more technical details. Yeah, so there's two kind of competing standards here, um, Cyclone DX and SPDX. Um, they're just really just list of inventories of dependencies at the end of the day. Um, you do typically sign these. And so you would say version XYZ of my software. Here's the SBOM for it. We've signed it just like we would sign that release artifact of the actual binary so that you can trust it. Um, and when you're selling to the federal government, you transmit this to them and they either use it as like kind of an archive and audit purpose or probably what they're actually going to do is go scan that and see what they think the vulnerabilities inside of there are and what their risk threshold is. Um, and so those other artifacts I was talking about are useful to send along with them to say like, hey, we've already kind of automatically remediated a lot of these and here's the proof of that. Um, and so all that can be transmitted uh, digitally as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned a little bit how the federal government is, um, you know, top down, really, I think shining a light, it sounds like on the the software supply chain and, and starting to push maybe even like into the standards regime. One thing that I think is uh, interesting from a standard standpoint is the second you make something a standard, a com- you know, part of a compliance regimen, particularly with like SOC 2, it just means everybody's got to go do it, right? It becomes like yeah. a cost of doing business and um, really doesn't even matter to some degree, like how small of a company you are, it, it becomes like a best practice. What's your thoughts on just in the current state of the world today, sort of practical tips for security and IT teams? Um, what's the right size of company and or, or what's the, the size and shape of um, the, either organizationally what you look like or the kind of software you're selling where you should really be looking into either um, analyzing SBOMs from your vendor partners if you're including things in your software and or look at getting serious at, at providing that to your customers? Um, definitely if you sell to the government, but really if you're just producing software, you need to start getting your hands on these types of things because folks are going to start demanding it. Um, and so, yeah, that looks like typically, especially if you pull in a lot of open source, um, they're probably producing S bombs upstream for some of those things. And so it really does start to become like an aggregation exercise, which is tough in its own right. Um, and then at the same time, you should be doing vulnerability management. Like you should have a program and SLAs, like, especially if you're under SOC 2 or ISO, you're definitely doing that, FedRAMP, et cetera. Um, and so using an SBOM to help supercharge those platforms kind of kills two birds with one stone. Um, and so it really does look like any software vendor basically needs to get their hands on these things. You're telling me it's like a, it's like a best practice to know what's in the food. It's like, right, exactly. In some ways, it, it, it feels a little bit like this is... Um, this is like the FDA uh, mandated like nutrition labels where you have to like, you got to like tell the ingredients to the person buying the book. Like yeah. it makes a lot of sense, even if you're selling something small. Yeah. Well, my analogy, it's kind of like the early days of SAS where there were no, like no status pages. Like you just like, it was hearsay whether like something was down or not. And it's the same thing for folks that have they fixed this new bug of the week that came out um, without these like S bonds and some of this metadata, you just don't know. Right. And it's like, well, should I stop using that service? Like, um, what's going on with LastPass? Should I be putting my passwords there anymore? And like, you just don't really know. And so it's kind of like, 
we're getting out of the Wild West days and getting into like something that's like both human and machine readable. The other interesting thing is like if you go talk to folks, like Log4j was really hard for just folks to even understand like, do we use this? And like, yes, somewhere, but like which teams? Is it on live machines right now? Like where are those? Um, just a really hard problem to solve. Um, and you just need software and automation to do it. This this actually feels uh, it, it well internally. We talk a lot about this. Um, there's this trend that I see happening in security and, and IT right now, and particularly the convergence of the two around the the decentralization of a lot of the old sort of like command and control structures, if you will. And we we talk about the the goodness that's there, particularly around our company, we're an identity and access control solution decentralizing, pushing access control decisions to people that have the best information to make the decision makes a lot of sense. This actually, in, in some ways that there's like, there's there's the double-edged sword to that, right? And it sounds like the, the potentially negative side of like the decentralization, you got teams off running, building software, procuring software and, and you know, middleware and using open source projects to make themselves successful is that it, it can create a little bit of like a wild west around the supply chain potentially. Yeah. And what is in all those different um, software modules? That's really, I think that's actually really interesting. It's like we talk about the good, the good parts sometimes of these um, trends and movements, but there's like sometimes there's a little bit of downside that you got to address as well. Yeah, I think this is like you know that whole idea of shift left for security is we've moved it to like our most expensive employees, our engineers, which is great because they can make really good decisions if they have the right context. But if you've shifted left so far where there's no context as to like how this software runs, like if I'm going to upgrade a dependency, if I don't know when and how or where or if that software is even running, I can't really make a decision about whether to fix these vulnerabilities or not. And so what we want to do is give the context to those engineers in their world. So in a pipeline in GitHub when they're making a code change. Um, and so it's the same thing that you're trying to do with your product is, yes, we do want to decentralize that. But also with like a central security team needs to have understanding across all the teams, across all the apps, what's going on. Um, and, you know, the old world used to be sling a bunch of tickets over to every single team just saying, like, go investigate this, go investigate that and then report back. Like, obviously, nobody wants to be doing that. Um, <laughs> and so giving the engineers the control is is a win if they have the context to do it correctly. Yeah, it's great. It, it, it just goes to show it, it's so interesting. These like patterns are the same, right? It's like. You can you can move to decentralization, but by moving to decentralization, you need central policy enforcement, and you need to push the context to the decision makers as well. It's like universal across you know every sort of like problem that you can imagine. Can you um you know one one problem that it, it seems like I would imagine developers probably face as it relates to um, you know s bombs and just securing the supply chain software in general is you run at, you run npm install you get you know a thousand things right like. Mm -hmm. That's a sprawl. It it probably I gotta imagine it's like hard to actually make sense of even what's included sometimes in your software. What's what is your software even using? How do you guys think about that? Do you see companies actually struggling with that problem? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just a standard like Node.js application is already has nine hundred things in it. Um, yeah, and then it's like now you've got two JavaScript teams. Did they even make the same decisions around the same dependencies? Like probably not. They're using different versions, et cetera. Um, and so I think, again, it's like giving folks context as to what are other teams doing in this space without, you know, you having to go just ask every single team um, is really important. Um, and then you got to understand, like, what's the health of these things from like an open source perspective? Like, 
do they have active maintainers? Do they are they signing their release artifacts like that type of open source intelligence? Um, but the most critical we think is understanding how your actual company is using it. Your Linux servers out in the cloud, you know, um, is this thing actually even used? It could be that it's packaged up for some use case that you don't use. It's using a plugin that you don't use. That's really great knowledge to have. Um, so if there's a vulnerability in that and it's just dormant code, yes, you should fix it, but like it should be lower on the priority list than something that's actually active and hot um, and has this critical vulnerability. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How are, how are companies solving these problems today? Because I have to imagine understanding your software supply chain is something everyone's going to do at some level, you know, if you have a basic level of security. And it sounds like clearly, you know, Edgebit focuses on the automation tools around that and making that better. I know this space is like kind of evolving around adding, um, you know, other companies doing a lot from an automation standpoint. But what is what is that automation typically replacing? Like, how do people manage this today? Um, I mean, much like in your world, like probably the most manual effort is like an Excel spreadsheet that just says like what libraries they're using and what versions. And, you know, it's you, the millisecond you hit save, it's out of date. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's also universal across all areas of tech. Um but then folks are doing things, um, a little bit of automation in the build pipeline. Um, there might be really good tooling that they use for Go, but they're a polyglot organization and they have no coverage on their JavaScript or, you know, vice versa. You can imagine how this works. Um, and so um, I think th that is going to be the biggest win for folks is finding a set of tools that work across all the teams that they're using. Um, and then not having those tools live in like a silo where they're just shifted so far left that they have no context that like kind of connecting back to production we think is really key yeah yeah that makes uh yeah that makes a ton of sense can you talk i want to shift um back focus uh for one more second um to what you'd mentioned earlier around like some of the use cases around supply chain and clearly like looking at the software bill of materials and sort of understanding what potential vulnerabilities might exist and then and then going and addressing those is like one use case what are the I guess, what are the the main use cases that are associated with kind of, from a security standpoint, supply chain security? And and do companies, like, do you, uh, do you need to address all, like all of those threats at once? Or is there a prioritization around there? Is it about like vulnerability management first? You know, can you talk just a yeah. little bit more about like the security implications, I guess, of the supply chain management part? Yeah, there's a bunch of different pieces and you don't have to tackle them all at once. So vulnerability management is, is kind of one side of it, whether that's for security or compliance. Um, there's also like kind of end-to-end um, -end verification of artifacts. Like the thing that you deployed, did it actually come from your build system or the open source library that you went and fetched? Did it Was it not modified in transit and did it come from where we, where we thought it did? Um, there's kind of that side of it. Um, and then there's enforcing policy around, all right, well, you're only allowed to go get things from over here or over there, um, or you're allowed to do that in dev, but not in prod and, and that kind of side of it as well. Um, and you don't have to solve all these at once. Um, you know, if your threat model doesn't um, kind of include malicious actors, like modifying dependencies as you're installing them, um, then maybe you care more about vuln management um, or, you know, your applications aren't sitting on the internet. And so you have a different stance, that type of thing. Um, but realistically, everybody should be doing at least a little bit of all of those things, if not, you know, progressing all the way uh, to expert level on all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts, you know, just to double click on that for a second, like, you know, putting myself in the shoes of, uh, let's say, a hundred person startup, 
you got maybe one, maybe two people kind of full-time thinking about security across InfoSec. Maybe that's a shared responsibility with IT. Maybe the CTO picks up a lot of that. Um, where, like, how do, how does, how do people get started in that, in that scenario? Like, where should they go? Are there tools that you tell them to reach for? Is it just about kind of that, that basic level of hygiene of like step in tire shoes, just create, you know, for better or worse, the spreadsheet and kind of understanding where the software comes from. But do you have like practical sort of tips and just even getting started, like where people should start? Yeah, there's a bunch of great open source tools. I would say skip the spreadsheet and, and just progress <laughs> to some sort of automation. Um, okay. But inside of like, you probably already have some sort of build pipeline. Um, start layering in some of the tools, like build an SBOM and just start like saving that to a cloud storage bucket or something and, and just having that, getting used to it. Um, ideally start actually doing vuln management on that. And, you know, there's a bunch of great tools, um, especially for open source, like um, GitHub's Dependabot is really great. Um, it's probably already in, you know, the the workflow that you're already using. Um, so just do something. Start, like, understanding your dependencies and being smart about how you're selecting them. And then you can kind of ratchet it up over time. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. That's the crawl is basically get something in your build pipeline and some basic automation level. And know what's in your software. Step one. Uh, right. Yes. <laughs> no, it's and then in, remove things that shouldn't be. No, it's in well. the sausage. Yeah, and then remove things that shouldn't be there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What? Um, any uh, any hot takes or predictions for uh, supply chain security in 2023? I don't think I have any hot takes. I think um, it's just going to like. I truly believe this. Once this comes down into the commercial um, compliance side of things, it's just going to affect every single software company. Um, and so anytime that you're seeing headlines about, um, federal, this or government, that, um, just replace that with the compliance that you're already doing today. It's going to be coming down. Um, and a lot of folks are already following NIST guidelines, um, yeah. you know, maybe not 100%, but they follow a lot of them. Um, it, this stuff is already in there. Um, and so it's just, it's going to be forced down uh, on you at some point. So you might as well get started now. Yeah. Okay, great. So it's already in this. I mean, that, that makes it hundred percent. I agree with that prediction because I've seen that play out in the multi-factor authentication market, whatever it was 10 years ago or something like that, where NIST is like the, it's like the, um, it's the wind before the storm, which you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty much like guaranteed to start happening and making it way, make its way into the commercial, uh, compliance frameworks at that point. And also, um, regional and government frameworks too. Um, yeah. Like I remember, uh, NYDFS was a big, uh, big driver of, uh, multi-factor authentication early days and things like that. And I'll throw NIST and some of these other orgs, um, a kudos because they're not being extremely prescriptive. Like I talked about, there's kind of these two competing standards for SBOMs. Nowhere does it say use one of those. Um, it's, they're being pretty fuzzy by design. And I think that it's the correct level of fuzziness. I think it's crisping up as it gets to each successive, um, organization and so like you know um dhs or department of veterans affairs or somebody are going to make their own decisions about prescriptively here's what you should do but nist isn't doing that which i think is very smart they're saying here are the best practices implement them how you see fit use tools use whatever you think matches yeah um and so i, I just think they're doing a great job about it um it does make it like a little bit of a slower process that i would like to see move faster just because i want people to get to better security faster um, but it's probably overall the right move to make. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to spend one more minute on that for a second is, are you seeing commercially between you know, private organizations, um, companies using this guidelines to kind of talk to their vendors and partners about what they're doing from a supply chain standpoint? So those conversations yeah. you're seeing happening in industry already. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, it, again, it's folks that are trying to just make smart decisions about the software that they've received, especially when they run it themselves, but they're not experts in it. Just like any security team at a large bank, like they can't know every single application. And so they just want to have the, the most context. And so they're starting to ask, look, I need an SBOM because we have some tools that we'll parse and we'll come up with our own risk score for what this is, for how we use it. Um, and so I think that's just going to continue to increase and increase. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rob, thanks for taking the time today and, and uh, joining me to, to talk about uh, securing software supply chain and SBOMs and wish you guys the best of luck at Edgebit. And uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This episode of All Aboard is brought to you by the team at Conductor One. We'd love to hear your feedback. Send us a message at allaboard at conductorone.com. Until next time.